0: It's all in the only podcast where one of the hosts writes very clear instructions about how long I'm allowed to talk about something and how many points I'm allowed to make, and then my show notes completely disregard that. I'm your host Hannah Chapman, Team Austin,
1: and I am your host Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And this week we are talking about persuasion. finally finally i'm so pumped (laughs) oh my god i am so so pumped for this um (laughs) what's funny is how many people on twitter have reached out to me and been like i can't wait till you guys talk about persuasion also i'm really nervous about what lauren has to say
0: (laughs) i i have been nervous about that that is my reality
1: Oh, really? Oh, God, this is hilarious. Yeah, because
0: well, the whole time I mean, I'm, like, well, I'm, I'm writing in my little persuasion diary and I was just like, please. And then you're like, I don't know. I have feelings about this. And I was like, no, <laughs> you're not allowed. You're not allowed to have an opinion or any
1: thoughts. <laughs> which is really funny because like the first time I read Persuasion, which was on my honeymoon, um, where I went, to, I went to Stratford and London and then I also made a stop to Bath and um, I just was like not sort of, I just didn't have many feelings about it. I just sort of was like ambivalent about it. Yeah. But this time I read Persuasion, I had a lot of feelings. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> so we're going to we're gonna get into it. Um, but first, I'm going to tell you how we're going to set up this episode. So technically, we're not doing a Persuasion versus Valette. This is technically Anne Elliot versus Lucy Snow. But um, really to talk about Anne and to talk about Lucy, we've also got to talk about Jane and we've got to talk about Charlotte and we've got to talk like about, you know, the plots of both books as well. But um, yeah, Persuasion and Villette, two very different novels, not really an obvious comparison there, but I think um, they both feature, you know, two very lonely and isolated characters that have these sort of rich inner lives. And um, I want to explore how, you know, Bronte and Austen handle these women. And um, I also think, I just had this thought the other day, that, you know, both were written sort of after the bangers, you know, like after Pride and Prejudice, after Jane Eyre, a little bit later in life.
0: Well, that's that's an interesting comparison to make, because as we all know, Persuasion is Jane Austen's best novel. So it's just that (laughs) she wrote her best novel after she wrote some other books, whereas Charlotte Bronte definitely wrote Jane Eyre first.
1: Well, so I was the professor and there was, yeah, but yes, yeah. Okay, like, fine, but
0: <laughs> she wrote Valette after her technically. popular, like her most popular book, but. Yes. But Valette isn't better than Jaina and Persuasion is better than
1: Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I debatable. don't know, man. But I do think they are, were both older writers and maybe yes. a little bit more practice and they're taking like some riskier strategies here with the characters and the plot. Yeah which is, I think, what you you do a little bit later on. You change things up. So I think that'll be um, how we compare and contrast. We really want to talk about Lucy and Anne. Um, We'll do that comparison probably more next episode after we've talked about both books. So so yeah, let's go ahead, jump in. But um, before we get to the actual plot of Persuasion, what we love about Persuasion, what we dislike about Persuasion... (laughs) (laughs) Let's... <laughs> Hannah, tell us about Jane Austen, where she was at with her life while she was writing uh, Persuasion. Because I actually don't know. And I'm really excited to like go over this.
0: Cool. So uh, as we know, uh, Persuasion was published after her death. It was released along with Northanger Abbey in 1818. But she'd actually started writing the book uh, around Uh, 1815 1816 was the year it was completed and this was right off the back of emma which we know was dedicated to the regent so in terms of success and recognition she's starting to really get somewhere like her books are reviewed they're well liked um she i don't think there's much doubt in her mind that this book will be published on completion she actually references in a couple of letters that she has um She's got this book, it's it's ready to go. Uh and okay. it should be published kind of within the year. And she was saying that in 1816, I believe. Although I like I couldn't tell with these letters, because there were some notes on there saying that they're labelled as eighteen sixteen, but it should be eighteen seventeen. Okay. But then in the letter, she's like, it'll be ready to publish in a year, but if it was completed in eighteen sixteen, why is she writing about it a year later saying there's gonna still be year it before it's published? So Right. I don't know, I got confused. I I stopped trying to figure it out. <laughs> um, if you want to, like, get a good idea for kind of, well, I say a good idea, more of an idea of where Jane was at with her life, I, I remember watching the uh, biopic Miss Austen Regrets, which I prefer considerably to Becoming Jane. And that is set around this time, sort of, like it's a little bit before. Mm-hmm. So in terms of context of like what the time was like and where more of her family were at and kind of the domestic world she was living in, like that's, that's a really good starting point because what's really interesting about this time is her brother Charles has just lost his wife, Fanny Palmer. Her brother Henry is ill and then he goes bankrupt. So he's got a lot of worries on his mind. Um, she's she's putting like a lot of energy into her family mm-hmm. and of course we all know about her relationship with fanny so she was just 15 i think like 14 15 when her mum died and how old was Anne Elliot when her mum died similar sort of age
1: oh nice
0: so, yeah that's like we all know about yeah. fanny except for me <laughs> so what's really nice about this time and where kind of jane is that in terms of her relationships with people is that her and fanny are steadily becoming closer and closer and closer and mm-hmm. after jane's death cassandra does say in a letter to fanny that other than herself uh there was no one that knew jane as well as fanny did the two of them are writing okay. constantly there's a few letters where jane is saying to fanny like you need to write something that i can read aloud so that people don't think we're up to something <laughs> like they're just talking about guys and like getting advice And I think when you think about these letters in the context of persuasion, everyone really loves to make things autobiographical. I'll talk more about that in a second. Oh, yes. But actually, I think there's some torment here. What do you say to someone who's in love? And I'm wondering how much of Jane is in Lady Russell.
1: That's actually really fascinating because I think that's what I have in uh, my notes later to talk about with Valette and Charlotte Bronte. Like everyone mm-hmm. wants to make it autobiographical, which I have conflicting feelings on. However, there are some like undeniable things that, you know, the parallels in that book yeah. and with her life. So that's fascinating. I actually did not know that.
0: I'm not saying there isn't any any Jane in Anne, but right. actually I'll, I'll read some quotes to you. It just, it really struck me in a way that I haven't really thought about it before until this reading mm-hmm. that, that Persuasion is its this amazing book for so many reasons. But then when you think about her relationship with her niece, like Fanny is Anne. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's a cautionary tale. It's a love story. It's uh, what could have been, what might not have. Like, I don't know. There's just, there's so much about it. That's more than just Anne and Captain Wentworth getting together. Right. About choices. And I think, I don't know, like I would, I would love to read, I'm I'm coming over to the idea of fan fiction. I'd love to read a book from Lady Russell's point of view because she is now, yeah. I think one of my favorite characters just in terms of she's really not, she's not explored very much in the book. Right. She is definitely like a supporting character, but I think she's fascinating. She's fascinating to me in a way that she wasn't before. So um, some good romantic advice to Fanny from Jane Austen was, uh, your affection gives me the highest pleasure, but indeed you must not let anything depend on my opinion. Your own feelings and none, but your own should determine such an important point. So that was written in 1814. Okay. Uh, Okay. Persuasion is set between 1814 and 1815, by the way, that's a fun fact. It's the only one of her books that actually has dates, Mm -hmm. like a very specific time. And then, Years may pass before he is independent. You like him well enough to marry, but not well enough to wait. Nothing can be compared to the misery of being bound without love, bound to one and preferring another. That is a punishment which you do not deserve. Whoa. And these these are just two. These are just two quotes. Pretty like, like on the ones. nose. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so much of it. And they talk so much about like, there's so many different guys and like, Fanny is really unsure and like, one of them maybe doesn't have enough money. One of them, re- she's really secure of his affections. And Jane's just like, well, you need to slow down. Like you are very young. <laughs> like
1: right, you've got, you've
0: got time. There is time.
1: Right. You know, That's really um, interesting to me. That's making me really like view Lady Russell in a different way because, and I have yeah. said this before, like, yeah, she's not like an overt figure. Like I feel like she's very different than a lot of other like, characters in other jane austen novels um i love that she's like an independent woman too Mm -hmm. yes she's she's widowed and she doesn't really seem bothered to get married again she's already got you know she's got her life she's got her surrogate family she's got everything that she really needs and her advice had that jane austen Hmm, anyone hmm. Uh... jane austen yeah I like it. I like this a lot, actually.
0: I'm so into it. We're going to get so many things going, Hannah, like you're really stretching. But if this is if this is my straw to clutch at, then clutch I will. Yeah, I'm on board with you. I I agree. (laughs) Thank you. Now, uh, another thing that's worth noting about Persuasion is that lots of people think it's her it's her most romantic novel.
1: Mm hmm
0: typical romance um it really is just all about yearning and unrequited love and requited love and torment and and finally being with someone and i think for that reason that's people really started to speculate like who is she writing about who is her captain wentworth
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's someone there she can't be writing about this never without having experienced love herself And uh, we were talking about poetry in a previous episode. So I did find this little poem from Kipling. Lauren, am I allowed to read this? Are you going to cut it out? Absolutely. Okay. No,
1: I think you should do it.
0: So Rudyard Kipling wrote this poem called Jane's Marriage, and it's about persuasion. Oh. Jane went to paradise. That was only fair. Good Sir Walter met her first and led her up the stair. Henry and Tobias and Miguel of Spain stood with Shakespeare at the top to welcome Jane. Then the three archangels offered out a hand, anything in heaven's gift that she might command. Azrael's eyes upon her, Raphael's wings above, Michael's sword against her heart, Jane said, love. Instantly, the understanding seraphim laid their fingers on their lips and went to look for him. Stole across the zodiac, harnessed Charles Wayne and whispered around the nebulae who loved Jane in a private limbo where none had thought to look sat a hampshire gentleman reading of a book it was called persuasion and it told the plain love story between him and jane he heard the question circle heaven through closed the book and answered i did and do oh quietly but quietly but sweetly as captain wentworth moved entered into paradise the man jane loved
1: he what just goes he just
0: goes to heaven to be with her <laughs> so sad so it is so sad i was messaging lauren earlier and i was just like i'm reading these letters and i'm crying (laughs) and it's it's been it's been an emotional day guys i don't usually get that upset about this stuff but um i don't know persuasion
1: well that's an interesting thing that you bring up like because when we were messaging earlier you're talking about you know like was she lonely you know who did she love and um, the fact that so many people want to make it, like, autobiographical or want to, like, say, like, who, you know, who was her captain Wentworth. Um, and also so many people say, like, can she write so well about love without ever being in love? And, I mean, that is definitely a thing that is always prescribed to women, right? Like, can they actually write about this without ever experiencing this? Whereas, like, you know, George R.R. R. Martin's never, like, questioned about dragons and shit, right? I mean, like... <laughs>
0: Well, we do I do this with
1: women authors.
0: I think that when I think it's this perception of what love is to the to the sexes. So it's the idea that for a woman to have loved, the ultimate goal is to marry them and have a child and settle down. And that that is the ultimate thing of love, whereas a guy uh, or a male writer can have a number of loves. But actually, if they leave, it's like, oh, if you truly love something, you have to let them go. And it's almost mm-hmm. like you can love independently of the other person you can like feel this passion and like still get away with truly loving them but if a woman talks about love if she's single if she's a if she's a spinster she she hasn't like reached the final goal and it's like oh well you can still like it's just we're just talking about feelings you don't get a certificate to prove that you've loved someone and I don't think men are I I don't think male writers are kind of expected to prove
1: it in the same way right right I mean, we know she had at least one sort of relationship in the background, mm-hmm. but, but love, you know,
0: but, but love doesn't have to. You don't. You can. You can be in love with someone and them not love you
1: back. Like totally, that's the, totally, yeah.
0: Even even if she never like had an affair or an understanding with someone, even if there was no one, and I don't think this is the case. Like I don't think that Jane Austen lived her life without anyone ever loving her back. Right. But I don't think that. She has to have had like a letter or anything back to, to prove it. validate her emotions and what was going on in her heart and mind. Right. Totally. And then speaking like a true single woman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally on board with what you're saying. And then also like what I was telling you earlier is I do think that she is someone that had a very full and rich life from what yes. I can tell. And, um, you know, was very involved with her family and was very social and active. And Mm -hmm. I think she made the best of her circumstances, too. Like, as someone, you know, without a ton of money and without, like, a ton of freedom. Like, she really lived her life to the fullest. In my eyes. So. So, yeah. Oh, Jane.
0: I just wish she'd have been able to travel.
1: Yes, I do, too. I'm going to talk a lot about that next episode, actually. Okay, yeah, I I really do too.
0: That that would be the thing that would like if I if I was one of those angels, I'd have been like, "Tell you what, we're not going to bring this dude up to heaven, but we are going to send you on a pretty good round the world cruise." What do you say?
1: That would have been great. Like, had she been able to live a little bit longer, write a little bit longer, and travel. Mm-hmm. we would have gotten like some, some great shit. I, I think. think she
0: should have, I think she should have married a naval officer.
1: Yeah. Well, she was a naval spy. Remember that. Remember, never, <laughs>
0: lest we ever forget.
1: Never forget.
0: So Lauren, why don't you tell us a little bit about Persuasion itself? So what's the, what's the story? Remember, keep it brief.
1: <laughs> Keeping it brief. Cause everyone has read this novel. Um, a million times you know as in the early days of the podcast I would kind of survey everyone about you know their top Austin books and I feel like Persuasion is like the number one by far yeah y'all love Persuasion um so you guys have all read it you don't really need me to recap it for you but I'm gonna just in case it's been a while or in case you're just like hardcore team Bronte and you're just not here for Persuasion
0: sometimes if I can't sleep I'll like Skype with Lauren and I say Lauren can you tell me a story? And she says, "What story do you want?" I'm like, "Recap Persuasion." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, the heroine of Persuasion is 27 years old. 27. Me. What a what what a magical age! Is it? I miss it. Yeah. Um, so she's 27, meaning she is a spinster, of course. Um, her name is Anne Elliot. She is the middle daughter to my boy, Sir Walter Elliot. <laughs> And, um, please imagine him as Jude Law, you know, Jude Law yeah, at the Golden Globes, too.
0: That's, that's it's, who we're casting.
1: He's perfect. I mean, just, you know, with a little bit of gray in his beard. He looks so good at the Golden Globes. I was just like, you are Sir Walter Elliot tonight. I'm gonna look fantastic. And it's like slight, like he's letting the hairline go slightly. And I'm like, it, it looks right. It looks realistic. Like I'm buying it. You don't have terrible hair plugs. <laughs> it's, it's all looking right. I like it. Um... So anyway, uh, Sir Walter Elliot is a little bit snobby and a little bit self-obsessed. And uh, he's got a daughter named Elizabeth, who is the eldest, and she's like following right in his footsteps. And then there's the youngest, Mary, who's just sort of like a sickly pain in the butt. And uh, she's married to Charles Musgrove, who would much rather be married to Anne, I'm sure. The family would definitely. The
0: family would prefer it. I, I I, don't know that it's that big of a plot point.
1: It's like a it's throwaway not,
0: comment.
1: It's not. It's a throwaway comment, but I just feel like, you know, <laughs> there's underlying tension there. And um, Sir Walter Elliot has been blowing through all the family cash. So he's got to rent out the family home, Kellynch Hall, to make ends meet, much to his dismay, sadly enough. Uh, he ends up renting to Admiral Croft, who is the brother-in-law to Anne's lost love, the now successful and rich Captain Wentworth. Uh, Wentworth had proposed to Anne eight years prior, but he was poor and just a little nobody, certainly a nobody to, to Walter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, Anne's surrogate mother, Lady Russell, had really encouraged her to decline the proposal, for reasons that we were sort of talking about above you're really young you know he's about to go off to war we don't really know what's going to happen like maybe just slow down take your time
0: it was it was and, really uncertain with that yeah
1: yeah and it makes sense it, it is actually good like practical advice um so that's kind of actually one of the things i like about persuasion is that lady russell's not the villain it's just really she's just the only one looking out for Anne's best interests, because Sir Walter Elliot, you know, he's off doing whatever.
0: Well, I think, I think, what Austin's very fair in it, in that Mm -hmm, she she is, we get Lady Russell's opinion, we get Anne's opinion, but also without knowing that that's what they're talking about, we also get the Croft's opinion on it as well when they're at the Musgroves and talking about short engagements. And if it was a time of war, he wouldn't wait. He would just marry Louisa straight away. And so as a reader, you think that they're talking about, um, Wentworth and Louisa but like they are talking about Wentworth and Anne without Mm -hmm. that that's why we're getting this information
1: yeah exactly so it's it is a very reasoned book which is I think one of its strengths but then also like something that makes it a little less dramatic for me but we'll get into that we'll get into that yeah sorry. but um Anne has suffered very quietly for like the past eight years and um eventually her and Wentworth are brought back together because yeah, the Crofts are renting this home. Wentworth's come back from war and um, they're sort of brought together by her family's misfortunes and spoiler alert, Anne and Wentworth are, you know, reunited after he writes the best letter ever. Oh, I know. Yeah. They're brought together by his, his writing skills.
0: I can listen no longer in silence. (laughs) Now, do you, before we go any further, I just want to. We've got to get something covered, right? Sure. These notes. You're calling him Wensy. We've mm-hmm. got. We've got Wentworth Wente, Um I called him Fred at one point, but we can't call him Fred because that's definitely Mag's brother. Can't be Fred. What oh, that's sure. just
1: ca- Captain. Captain. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Yeah. Okay. Can we call him Captain. Sure. Let's do it. Thanks, Captain Cappy. Who knows what he's going to get called. (laughs) (laughs) You've all been warned. So now Hannah, this is your top five books of all time. Oh, this is my top book. It's your top book of all time.
0: Yeah. I don't, maybe I do like something better, but, um, I think this is probably, no, I think, yeah, I think this is like my top, this is my top book. And then there are others that I think are really good. It's just this, this is my favorite.
1: This is your favorite. This is like comfort reading. Like you return to this book all the time, right?
0: Yeah, I do return to this book a lot.
1: Um, Oh man. man. Can you, can you give us three things you love about persuasion? You can give us more if you need to. I can't give you three things. I'm sorry. I try to write
0: three things. And my excuse is that I think some of these things are all one thing. Okay. But they're facets of it.
1: All right.
0: I'm I'm my excited love, to hear it. My love of persuasion is faceted like a diamond. Also, there are so many more things I love about this book. Uh mm-hmm. Jane Austen's like nature descriptions in it that we don't get in any other novels. That's really mm. exciting. Uh the opening, like the fact that Anne is silent I think for the first chapter of the book, like mm-hmm. so reflective of her character. I think I think Jane Austen's killing it. But those aren't those aren't the things that I've got So that's a great (laughs) thing, though. (laughs) I will say that
1: Anne is silent and that she's I mean, I think that's a really awesome strategy.
0: Yeah,
1: I didn't write that down either. I don't think. But I do. I do love talking about that because I think that is like a really it's a risky strategy because I just feel like it is it takes forever for us to get to know Anne. And I think one of the notes that I had in my persuasion diary that I sent to you was just like, does this story just happen around Anne? Where is Anne? What's going on?
0: But that's the you know
1: we but we that learn is a lot great...
0: about the Elliot's relationship with Kellynch Hall, the Baronessy Elizabeth's disappointment uh, Sir Walter's vanity Mrs Clay uh, Miss Clay Mister Shepherd Yeah uh, Lady Russell all of these people all of these people making decisions about this woman and like that's that's the thing isn't it It's like yes it is, is. Happening yeah around her but that doesn't mean that she's less of a heroine It's just it's just making like. It's making it very clear. And then we are introduced to Anne almost like a side thought. Oh, Anne.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which I think is like, it's a risky strategy, right? It's like something that you wouldn't advise, you know, a writer to do if you're you're writing a contemporary novel. It's like, no, we need to make a connection really with the no, protagonist what, as though. soon as
0: possible. But... I think that's advice that you would give to a new writer. Yeah. But if if a writer who is successful and popular turns around and is like, this is how I'm going to open my book, then... I I think I don't I don't know if it's as much of a risk for Jane Austen
1: it's not no it's not I think it's really well handled I think it's like really I think it's great
0: yeah you're right you're right it is risky I just think like for her it's kind of like I think to be honest I think she could just take a shit on a page and people would be like this is great this is great thank you
1: yeah I mean if you're one of the greatest writers of all time you can really you can try this out I feel like yeah if you're maybe a (laughs) new or younger writer (laughs) Like this would be a note Maybe definitely no. <laughs> from your publisher, or if you're writing like a film script for sure. Well, yeah, because remember be the You you meet
0: that female character and then she dies. Spoiler spoiler for psycho. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> right. But and everyone is like, well, you can't you can't do that. She's the main character, right? And it's it's not. It's just you think she's the main character because you spend all of this time with them and. And it's interesting. It makes you start to think and like how you relate to characters and story like very differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So uh, so I think that one of the main things I always have loved about Persuasion, and you'll hear this from everyone a lot. It it wasn't my my first favourite. Pride and Prejudice was my first favourite. But every time you read it, you get something new. And for a long time in my mid 20s, I did kind of hold persuasion up as being this, if you're resolute, then like you will, like Captain Wentworth will come, like, okay. just got to hold on. Like, it doesn't matter how low you feel. It doesn't matter, like, how rough it gets, how difficult it is. You've just got to be like true to yourself and calm and cool. And then like, you will be rewarded, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think now that I am <laughs> the same age as Anne, I don't really have a Captain Wentworth going on. But I do have a lot of awkward social interactions with like <laughs> ex-boyfriends. And actually, what I what I really took from it this time around and what I took have took from it like the time before is the way that you can carry yourself in situations that are difficult. Like Anne is this incredibly strong woman and the way she deals with meeting Captain Wentworth for the first time, seeing his relationship with Louisa develop, like just having to deal with the the way her family are constantly putting her down. And she doesn't, she isn't perfect. Like I think she could be mm-hmm. a little bit more proactive. But actually I'm I'm the opposite. She she hides her feelings so well. Like no one would know what's going on. And mm-hmm. I can't lie and I turn red if I like hear someone's name. So I think what I really take from it is like I could be more like Anne and that doesn't mean that in nine years time I'll get a boyfriend it means that she she, she doesn't know that does she she's not like going around the same right, day, right. one day he'll come back to her all hope is lost and it's how you carry yourself when all hope is lost
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that is that is fascinating like she doesn't she doesn't believe that he's going to come back to her like for a long time it's the right. whole novel isn't like she's not out there to try and catch him this isn't my best friend's wedding it's not like a plot. Right. she's just like you let him let him go she's almost like mr Thornton a little bit
1: you know oh, when just yeah, like let, let her go
0: okay let her go both of them are actually i think reading it after reading north and south was really interesting as well because obviously i had like a different context to pair it with mm-hmm. so um i've got a quote it's really good this is the first meeting um Captain Wentworth has come to visit so at this point he's met all of her extended family the Musgroves. he's been in town but she hasn't seen him face to face she knows that he's come up and that she's come up in conversation with him which is kind of his way of saying like yes I know Anne you don't have to like formally introduce us to mm-hmm. kind of make it a bit easier so he's just turned up at her sister Mary's cottage and it goes Mary, very much gratified by this attention, was delighted to receive him while a thousand feelings rushed on Anne, of which this was the most consoling, that it would soon be over. And it was soon over, then goes on to say, her eyes met Captain Wentworth's, a bow, a curtsy passed. She heard his voice. He talked to Mary, said all that was right, said something to the Miss Musgroves, enough to mark an easy fitting. The room seemed full of persons and voices. But a few minutes ended it. And then it is over. It is over. She repeated to herself again and again in nervous gratitude. The worst is over. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get worse, Anne. Don't worry. It will get worse. I think I think she feels the most out of any of Jane Austen's characters.
1: She does have a lot of feelings. She does. She's she doesn't act on them. She just doesn't. She's just very passive. They're just all like contained.
0: Uh, she. I don't think she's passive. I think she takes control in a lot of situations. What people like, she's passive in her romance. But what? What is she meant to do? He doesn't love her. That she thinks. You know, he's moved yeah, on.
1: That's so, like, true. And I don't think she's. I don't think she's any. I guess passive any more in the more passive sense than she's Lucy not. Snow. She's not driving the story. It's funny. I was reading something earlier and they were um, comparing um, Anne Elliot to Hamlet and both being these like very intense, like internal characters. Mm -hmm. But I was like, instead, I was like, I don't find them to be comparable because I just think that like Hamlet does have all these internal feelings. Yes, he's got a lot of feelings. He's got too many. But he just like can't stop doing stuff. (laughs) You can't Um, stop fucking things up. Do you know what I mean? But Anne is restraint.
0: Hamlet's male, a prince, young, like young. Yeah, exactly. It's a 27 year old, unmarried woman. She's not as attractive as her other sister. Her younger sister's married. She has no agency. Exactly. No one thinks of Anne. So actually to be true to the story and to the circumstance, she has to be passive in that way. She, she isn't driving her own story. Everyone else is making the decisions for her yes if she was more active would it would it be believable I don't know like I'm I'm sorry I'm just gonna I'm worried about getting too defensive in this episode
1: no that's totally fine I think it, <laughs> I think you're right I think that's the thing that makes me actually sad about Anne as a heroine is that it's like oh god I just don't know yeah I don't know if there is any. there's nothing she can do right like she has yeah I
0: don't I don't know that she had another option
1: exactly and I understand that I just it makes me sad that's all yeah yeah but it does also make you want like really root for her happy ending and like it really does fulfill you in that way in the story so it yeah
0: so thing number two that was one Mm -hmm. thing thing number two (laughs) is and this is a quick one but there's this quote and I think every time I like go through a breakup or have a bad day or whatever I will like find this quote and I keep telling it to myself Ah, uh, especially when you meet someone's new girlfriend. Let me tell you, this <laughs> quote will see you through. Lady Russell had only to listen composedly and wish them happy, but internally her heart revelled reveled? Revelled. Reveled <laughs> in angry pleasure, in pleased contempt, that the man who at twenty-three had seemed to understand somewhat of the value of an Anne Elliot should, eight years afterwards, be charmed by a Louisa Musgrove
1: yeah good line
0: it's a good line and guess what i'm Anne elliot guess what yeah that's a louisa <laughs> hmm.
1: i like that that's how you see your romantic rivals
0: yeah man <laughs> obviously <laughs> obviously i'm sad Anne elliot <laughs> okay thing the third thing the third i'm gonna try and move quickly through these um, this is I wish you know I, I wanted to find some quotes for this but then I was already had too much too many quotes from letters and the poems and stuff but on this reading as well this occurred to me for the very first time I actually think that the Admiral and Mrs Croft are in there to give us it's almost like an internal epilogue within the book mm-hmm. is that insane
1: no this is a very this is interesting
0: so every single time there are multiple married couples around and the crofts are there the crofts are described as being the happiest people like they are they are so in love and it's like it's just like a very quiet and practical and comfortable relationship that they have got right and i think Anne's character and sophie's character mrs croft and then wentworth and the admiral and like the way they're kind of like paired off together and they spend time together and she really loves being around them. I think that it's almost like a, like you hear Louisa and she'll go, I would never leave a man's side. And then Sophie's like, yeah, I've like been all over. And like, I traveled around with my husband a lot. The only time I was ever seasick when I wasn't with him. And I think because it's almost in response to something that Louisa is saying, it's like, oh, well, she's just like Louisa. But that's absolutely what Anne would be like. It's just Anne, yeah. Anne's not thinking about it. So I think the Crofts give you this really like delightful future image of of what old Cap and Anne are going to be like. Um, so, and also, another thing with it is that I I wonder how much of that is... So you read it and you're like, oh, Anne is... She's just seeing things as they are. But we know from Jane Austen's writing that even when she's writing from her protagonist's point of views, the way they perceive things are, like, biased. Like, look at Emma. That's the perfect example of that. Or Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. and how Lizzie doesn't like Mr. Darcy and how his rea- right. his actions are like, oh, he's bad, and then he's good. So I I wonder how much of the Croft's happiness and them being this couple that's so much better than all of the couples around them, how much of that is Anne projecting? There is this... Oh, interesting. This okay. When they, first- when they first... And Anne's like she couldn't get any joy from the encounter because she keeps thinking to herself, these would be my friends. These would be, yeah. this would be my family. Like these, these would be my people. So we know that this is a woman who is capable of seeing herself in the situation uh, that, that didn't happen. She can, she can see the life that isn't to be and the people that she would have been very intimate with. And so I do think sometimes when she's looking at the crofts, it's like this, this would have been us.
1: Yeah, I think that too. I think that, um, yeah, I had a very slightly similar, but like a little bit, well, I guess there's a little slight difference with my reading of the cross was like, yeah. And looking at them and, or, or actually just Jane putting them in there to say like, to sort of guide Anne, like this could be your life. This could be your relationship. But, um, I do also like the idea of it being almost like an epilogue. Like this is what's going to happen for them.
0: (laughs) That's nice. I I think again, I've got two straws now. I've almost got a bunch of straws,
1: guys. I'm um, <laughs> holding tight. Uh I, I like that though. I'm on board with it. You know I like a reach though, too. Oh, you love a reach. I'm worried I'm getting <laughs> reachy. <laughs> I'm like grasping. Um that can we talk about the fall? Are we allowed to? Can we get I mean, that? I I expected that you would talk about the fall because this is like your favorite thing ever.
0: Ew. Fuck you. Fuck you, Louisa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really hate Louisa. She's fine. Um, there, oh my gosh, this moment is swoon-worthy. It's swoon-worthy and because of it. that, I've got a bit, a bit, I'll read it. Okay. Oh, Lord. This is so, it's so emotional. Is there no one to help me? Were the first words which burst from Captain Wentworth in a tone of despair and as if all his own strength were gone. Go to him. Go to him, cried Anne. For heaven's sake, go to him. I can support her myself. Leave me and go to him. Rub her hands, rub her temples. Hear assaults. Take them. Take them. This is Anne Elliot's initial reaction to, ev- like, everyone thinks Louisa is dead. Captain Wentworth thinks Louisa is dead. Like, Henrietta's is crying. Mary's collapsed. Uh, Charles Musgrove is trying to support... Uh, is it Mary they're trying to support or is it Henrietta? They're, they're holding on to someone, you know, ev- everyone's losing their mind. Everyone's losing their shit. And then you've got little mm-hmm. Anne Elliot, who is like, you know what? I'll hold this person up myself, despite everyone going on about how easily tired I am, how small I am, how I've, I've got no strength. I'll support her. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to take charge of this situation. And this this is a, a woman who is watching the man she loves and has loved clutching another woman who, in that moment, she thinks that he is going to marry and be with forever. And she is saying to people, go to him. Leave me and go to him. Because right. she she can feel the compassion for a person who is the... I mean I know it's like it's her fault because she listened to Lady Russell but he's he's the cause of all of this pain and turmoil that she's going through at the moment and she's still able to think of him when I think when you look at the other women around her who are maybe more boisterous and uh have more agency and maybe would take charge of their lives a bit more they're, they're just fainting and she she has this strength and this resolution mm-hmm. like you know that Louisa likes Anne way more than she likes Mary And Mary's like she's gone. She's done for. She's no use to anyone.
1: Well, it is within like Anne's character. I do think she is that like that person in her family that um, is their rock, like yeah, just their steady rock. And it, um, I actually have like one of my aunts is very much like that too. And she was like single for a very very long time, and she was always the one to come you know, babysit the kids or like mm-hmm. if someone was sick, you know, she was always like the rock and she was also probably perceived as maybe the most quiet sister mm-hmm. and the, the most passive. Yeah, absolutely. And the peacemaker and the family, you know, just the one who is like maybe too good for everyone else, I think. Yeah. And that's how I think of Anne Elliot too. So I do actually, I think this is very in character that she would just be like the steady, quiet rock. I do think it's in character I think but I think that people misread her character
0: or at least Mm -hmm. people like what what else I I just I just what what do you want what do people want what do they want her to do other than it just it baffles me and so for me like I read this scene and I'm just like you're great you're doing it you're killing it ignore them man. you do you (laughs) I'm here I'm like She's, she's supporting Harriet or Henriette. I can never remember her name. And they're like rubbing her shoulders, giving her a little juice box, towel, you know, you got it. Well,
1: I, I think it's also reading her character in modern terms, right? Like mm-hmm. that was something that I sort of reevaluated when I read it the second time, because I do also like a like a heroine with a lot of agency and who is, you know, who's spunky and taking control of her own destiny. But I also think that, again, like I said before, this actually just reads more realistic to me. It's like, what is Anne supposed to do? Yeah. Her her options are limited. So it is all about like, how can I carry myself? Like, how can I, you know? So yeah, it, it just makes me sad. Yeah. I just like feel sad for Anne for that sort of lost eight years. Um, also, I and do- I wouldn't advise that, like anyone to like take that into modern times. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't advise yeah. anyone now who is like, eight years ago was a proposed to and then has been holding out for eight years or has been, you know, has let themselves like sort of fade away. Like now I think that's a very different situation.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's in part some of the advice that Jane Austen ends up giving to her niece is like, you'll meet people like you will meet people. Please don't get hung up on one guy. Like you cannot cannot live your life like that. And that's definitely Mm -hmm. the tone that that Miss Austen regrets uh, film like takes Mm is it's, it's kind of damaging. It's harmful to, To look back like that, yeah, because it stops you from evaluating. I guess what what good is going on. I can't get over this passive thing. I've just thought of something else. So Mm -hmm. there's when when we first meet Mary. Mary's like, oh, I'm really annoyed that you couldn't come sooner. What the hell have you had to do? And Anne is just like listing all of the stuff that she's been doing around the house. Like she was looking after the servants. She made sure that the house got packed up properly. She like wrote the list of everything that's there. She's she's been really busy and Mary just immediately starts talking about herself. Yeah. And then when it's discussing like, oh, how shall we retrench? And Elizabeth is like, well we could like maybe give to less charities. And Anne's like, oh, I've written a plan of the many ways that we that we can <laughs> Save some money and still save face and not have to leave. She's doing all of these things, but it's the characters around Anne who think that she doesn't do anything and is absolutely worthless that don't see her activity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just like the things that Anne's saying are not like super sexy and fun things. And they're just like, ugh, Anne. So she's she's constantly active. She's constantly
0: doing something. It's just that the other characters disregard her. And I think that when people read persuasion and think that she's passive, I think that they are as uh, they they're being those people okay i'm moving on i'm moving on (laughs) on. this is this is a short one um one of my favorite things about shorten was i think it's called the admiral's room and Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah oh yeah i love this room uh it's it's kind of a room dedicated to her naval brothers uh, and it's got loads of information about charles and francis obviously persuasion has lots about the Navy and I feel like I could go into it more but Lauren has said that I can do a naval episode so I actually think I'll put like a lot of that stuff in that rather than talking about it here because obviously Mm -hmm. we want to talk about Anne but a little fun fact was that um apparently Francis Austin got asked a lot like do do you think Captain Wentworth is based on you and he was like well actually I think it's Captain Harville because of the carving so Francis Austin yeah. did all of this wood carving, and there are these examples of it at the Chawton House Museum. And then if you read it, Captain Harbour is described as being this man um, who's always occupied. He's always like gluing something or, or carving something or building some bookshelves or doing, like making a fishing net. He's never, he's always got something to do. And I think that's very much, um, yeah, like Francis. Uh, that, that's what he was up to that's what he was like he was just constantly like working at something and i think that that affection of like the camaraderie and the fraternal love between the guys like i i yeah it's it's coming from her brothers and the friends that she she would have met their friends she stayed with them both so
1: right nice yeah. oh i like that um also it's a bit it's a bit odd to be like do you think your sister based this romantic hero on you yeah this feels a bit feels a bit weird yeah but i like the harville answer makes more sense to me
0: yeah i liked it i think one of my favorite things i think i learned that at the at the chort house museum or maybe i read I think it so. summer.
1: um can't wait for that naval episode just yeah. another one where i'm gonna sit back and learn i it's
0: might bit- you know i might go to the historic shipyard in portsmouth and like have a look at some Ships. Oh, you should take some pictures and stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take some audio. Yeah,
0: maybe
1: try. Do a tour. Ooh, on a rainy day. (laughs) So, I'm gonna go over quickly three things that I love about Persuasion. I'm so sorry I talked so long. (laughs) No, you're fine. It's your favorite book. I knew that you would. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, I everyone knows this already. I, I've talked about this at length, but I really love Sir Walter Elliot. I just, yes, like I think he's hilarious. I do have a soft spot in my heart for like just vain characters, like yeah. characters that are fun. On, like this is what makes him fun on screen too. Mm-hmm. Um, he just makes me laugh. I think he's also like a uh, Mark Francis on Maiden Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I just. And he's my favorite character on Made in Chelsea too, because everyone else is so like caught up in their, you know, who's cheating on who and their love lives. But like Mark Francis, like has not, like he does no romance. Like you just like cut to him, you know, in a flower shop or cut to him in his library. And he's just like.
0: And he's always telling people how to live their lives.
1: Yes. Oh darling, not that,
0: this instead. And
1: like, (laughs) if you're going to wear a tiara, it must be a family tiara. Otherwise, oh, yes. Yes. So I just, I, I find him like fascinating and. Um, Although I
0: do, I do think that um, Mark Francis would think that Sir Walter Elliot is tacky.
1: That oh, absolutely. Really that, he yeah. absolutely would. <laughs> um, and um, and maybe vice versa to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I think Sir Walter Elliot too, is like one of those characters. I think he represents sort of like, like this is why Austin translates so well to screen too. Like, mm-hmm. just his one-liners, just, like, you know, he is one of those characters that with just one line, you can tell exactly, like, who he is. And that, I think, is, like, the best of Austen's writing. Like, that's, like, her her crazy superpower. It's her dialogue. Yeah, and if,
0: if you look at Sir Walter, is, he's is definitely, like, one of the the comedy elements that's where like the wit is really yes. coming into it to balance out the very sad and like somber tone of the rest of the book so you've got some yes. there. and then definitely mary as well yeah and mm-hmm. then um the descriptions of the crofts i would say those are the points where you will get like some of your funnier like throwaway lines or like snappy remarks and it's not because it's not like you're not laughing with them you're kind of like oh my god did you just say that
1: <laughs> like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they're great, and um, I mean, yeah, I think that's what I gravitate towards with Austin, like just in general too. Is like it's always her humor, it's always her like her like characters. Um, I think the romance is great, and also like Persuasion is such a like what a like classic like love story setup too, mm-hmm. like lost love, like that is you know again like sh- that's just like you know classic romantic trope that has been used time and time and time again. But interesting
0: Um, that it's the only book for her that really does that.
1: It is. It is. But I think she does something really different with her romances every time though, too. Yeah. She really, and that's again, one of her, her strengths. Um, So that's number one. Number two, I, um, I love Wentworth. I think he's the best Austin hero, like far beyond Darcy. It's the most interesting. Yeah. Like, in the rankings of this podcast, tell me if I'm wrong. I believe he's only second to Thornton because I do think Thornton might be the re- leading romantic hero of this podcast.
0: Yeah, I mean, guys, after you've listened to this, maybe let us know. um yeah, well like how because I don't I don't know necessarily that I've got a clear idea of that. I would have just assumed Darcy.
1: Oh, I think it's between Thornton and wentworth for sure. Mm-hmm. Let us know who wins in this showdown, um, but they're both self-made men. I think they'd actually both get along. Like they're both very similar dudes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? And yeah. So I was thinking that too. And also you get all of these descriptions of um, the curl of his lip,
1: like, mm-hmm. this, like
0: this little derisive smile. Cause he's this, this isn't a guy who can uh, hide his emotions. So Darcy goes blank, doesn't he? Like yeah, he won't, he, does. he doesn't react. He's like, he's very shut down and Wentworth has this quickness with his um, like his emotions I think like he gets annoyed at times and Anne can see it because although they've been apart for all this time she knows him best and she can see when he's like oh, like please like stop or he makes these mm-hmm. little comments and Thornton does the same in yes. a way that the, the other guys they don't I don't think.
1: Yeah I, I think they both have this uh, interesting dynamic too when you're talking about like Mags and Thornton and Anne and Um Wentworth, where they're watching each other. Yeah, that's and what I'm really I, feeling each other's like moods.
0: That first meeting when um when she's in the room, she's like aware of him. Although she doesn't uh the words aren't like, Oh, she saw him more than anyone else. That that mm-hmm. scene, that moment really reminds me of the uh the dinner party scene at Thornton's house. Yeah. And he just knows where she is and like there's loads of people around, but she's just really aware, and it's this is Anne like oh, this is what he said to this person. This is how they reacted to him. She's like analyzing everything and then it's, it's all a lot. I, I so think there, there were a few North and South persuasion just like, they, they yeah. feel, they they feel close, don't they?
1: They do. Like, they do. They're very different plot wise, obviously, but yeah, they feel, there's like similar feelings. Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny because I was just reading, I won't talk about this book in particular right now, but I'll just say I was reading like a Jane Austen, like modern update recently and um that was something that was really missing from the book um Mm -hmm. was that the two characters the lizzie and the darcy they just weren't observing each other they just weren't feeling each other in their own space um yeah and i do think that's one of the most powerful things about like an attraction you know it's just it's like for some reason in this book they just like cut to sex really quickly and i think that maybe the author felt yeah. like that was modern but i'm like no like when you are just attracted to someone and it just like their presence you know in the room just well, affects remember, you that's very powerful and when that's we, timeless when we talked
0: about naughty bonnets and i was reading those quotes about like do we have to make it sexy Are he's not already some of the like yeah yeah. Like just, it's, it's aching. Like you just
1: aches, yeah, like you read it and you're just exactly. like, Oh my
0: God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Just, yeah. So I think that's, um that's a big strength of this book. And um also with Wentworth, I do actually really love that hazelnut scene. Yeah. Does that make it into any of the adaptations? That's what I was just wondering. It's been I a while remember. since I've watched them and I was like, Oh wait, like, because it's just funny and like he's just comparing Miss Musgrove to like a hazelnut and like admiring her for her strength of will and just, you know, sort of like Anne feels it as a dig on her. But also like I love that like, I don't know, I just think it's like, kind of ridiculous too. Yeah, also you just picked
0: that nut off the ground. I've definitely like walked all over thousands of nuts, just like yeah. I will walk all over thousands of Louisa Musgroves. Oh, yeah,
1: we should put that on a t-shirt we shouldn't <laughs>
0: people go oh Hannah's been talking about me again <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um so yeah enjoy Wentworth enjoy the hazelnuts you know like I, I really hope uh that persuasion play that we're going to see at the Jane Austen festival in Kentucky yes I mean I hope we have a hazelnut scene in there I just, hope just saying. I
0: hope those naval reenactors are ready Lauren that's what <laughs> I hope I hope they know what's coming for them
1: I think A they sore. are. They're not ready. They are definitely not ready. <laughs>
0: Mary was trying to warn them,
1: but they were just like, "Yeah, come by." It's like, no, really, she's coming. <laughs> Hurricane so, Hannah. <laughs> Hurricane Hannah for the naval officers. So, um, the final thing I will say about persuasion and what I do really, what I really responded um, to this time around in reading, and this is like from my persuasion diary, which. I debated about reading like online, but it's, just, it's a, it's a long, ridiculous thing. I, no one wants to read this. Well,
0: this is why we need a blog so that you can, you can write it up. I, know. I actually think people would like to dip in and then I can type up my Valette one, which is just written directly onto the pages of Valette. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting to see people react to stuff and like path- the passages in real they time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that is true. Um, Well, I will say uh, the thing that really struck me was like when we describe Anne, it's like we don't really talk about Anne. I feel like we talk about feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I think is a really strong – well, we've gone over this strategy of like we don't really know Anne. We don't really know Anne. And I'm the whole time like during my persuasion diary, I'm just like every chapter like what's going on with Anne? Like I want to know what's happening with her. And then suddenly you're just sort of like slapped in the face with Anne feelings. And that's like every time she sits down to play the piano, you get like these insights into Anne's life, which I think are just really, they're just really heartbreaking. Um, And I'll read this one passage. I can't remember which page it's on, but I think it's the first time that Anne sits down um, to play the piano. And it says, um, she played a great deal better than either of the Miss Musgroves. But having no voice, no knowledge of the harp, and no fond parents to sit by, fancy themselves delighted, her performance was thought little of, only out of civility, or to ref- refresh the others, as she was well aware. She knew that when she played, she was giving pleasure only to herself. But this was no new sensation. Excepting one short period of her life, she had never since the age of 14, never since the loss of her, of her dear mother, known the happiness of being listened to or encouraged by any just appreciation or real taste in music. She had always used to feel alone in the world and Mr. And Mrs. Musgrove's fond partiality for their own daughter's performance and total indifference to any other person's gave her much more pleasure for their sakes than mortification for her own. So, yeah, I just, I like loved that passage. Cause I was like, Oh, finally I like get to know. Anne a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> and who this person is just someone who has just been sort of cast aside, who doesn't feel listened to, who's never been encouraged, really. I mean, I feel like Lady Russell has tried, but like, you it's hard to get beyond the loss of a mother yeah. and living in a house where, you know, she, she doesn't relate to Elizabeth or Mary or her father. And, you know, here she is sort of like, hanging out with this happy family. They have their own patterns. They have their own, you know, like she is just an outsider.
0: Yeah. And people, and there's really no way around it. Or cheer for her or tell her you're amazing. Even when she's not. Yeah. You know, like she might not be the best, but sometimes you just need your parents to be like, Hey, that was great. That awful singing you just did that. I just had to sit through. That was wonderful. Do it again. Yeah, Everyone's just like, Oh, Anne oh, Anne, Anne will do this, or it doesn't matter, like, Anne's of no consequence. Why should right. Anne Yeah.
1: Yeah. So just, oh, it broke my heart. And then, like, again, when she plays the piano, you have another just really heartfelt scene with Anne. And I just, um, it made me want to know more about her. Like, that, I think, is my big problem with the novels. I just wanted something. I just wanted a flashback. I wanted, like, maybe just something from, like, when... Her and Wentworth, you know, first were together eight years prior. Like, I wanted to know more about Anne. Those passages really made me, like, just just become obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And I see how a lot of people really identify with um, with Anne, because I feel like a lot of people on this podcast do say, like, they feel like they are Anne Elliot. And um, I'm always like, well, I I don't really relate to her on that level. But I think these feelings that she's expressing of um, being an outsider, um, those are things that people all feel and they feel very universal. Yeah. And I can see why people like relate to Anne so, so heavily.
0: And what, what I think what's funny about that is that actually I relate to Anne in a lot of, way, uh, in a lot of ways, but I almost like aspire to be more like Anne because mm-hmm. she can sit there and play the piano while all of that's going on. And I just, I, I, I couldn't do it. Like I can't. Historically, yeah. I've not been able to, to deal with those situations, and so for me, when I read, I read it, I'm just like blown away. I'm like Anne, you're just you're doing it.
1: Well done. Yeah, I mean, well, Austin herself recognized that too, right? I mean, because when she wrote Emma, didn't she say something along the lines of like, I've just written this heroine that like no one's gonna like but me. <laughs> and then also like Anne of Anne Elliot, she said something like, and then this heroine who I've written is just almost too good for me yeah, for she everyone said else, she, like. Yeah. She's too good yeah. for me. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, like she totally recognized that Anne is is aspirational. Yeah. Oh, poor Anne. <sighs> I know, poor Anne, poor Anne. Um, it's hard. I, so, you know, I, I guess on the first, I, I feel better about Anne this time. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, I'm
0: glad about that. And obviously, like, I remember reading Persuasion for the first time. And it's not that I didn't care for it, because I remember, like, feeling. Quite obviously, that I didn't care for Mansfield Park. Like, I remember reading it and being like, I don't like this one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I actively didn't like Emma the first time I read it. Persuasion, I was just like, well, Persuasion, who cares? Yeah. You know, it's not Pride and Prejudice and it's not Sense and Sensibility. But for whatever reason, I, I returned to it so many more times than I've ever returned to Pride and Prejudice.
1: I think when I was reading Persuasion for it's the first time, I was reading for like the love story. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if the love story is the, you don't get it for such a long time. I don't even know if it's like the biggest strength of the book, to be honest. No. I think there's a lot of other little things that I like, just appreciate much, much more.
0: Here's, here's a question for you. Hmm. Um, and then I know that we should move on to weaknesses because you've got some things to say but um you know the ending of the let mm-hmm. it wouldn't be out of place in persuasion
1: no it wouldn't
0: would it he gets it's called like- to war mm-hmm. they've like reconciled we've had the letter he gets called to war and he says this time like wait for me and then she's like this is my movie line." she goes I waited for you nine years buddy." Yeah, yeah. don't worry. I can wait another week or whatever, and then he uh, and then he
1: dies, right? Wouldn't that would feel like a
0: very persuasion (laughs) ending? (laughs) (laughs) But that feels more persuasion to me in my cousin in my uh, current like frame of mind than the actual (laughs) ending of this book. And then would I toss it on the fire like I want to do to Villette? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be I'd be devastated. I think that's my issue with yeah. that is it broke me. It broke me. <laughs>
1: it broke you down. Uh, well, I think that she wanted it to, to be honest. Yeah. I know. And I think I know. and I
0: think that Austin wants you to to feel frustrated for for Anne and the situation. That feel like you're just there and you're just watching it like through gritted teeth and you just like we've all we've all been there in some way or another, whether or not it's Having to work for someone who's been promoted over you, or having to live with like a family with, you with just have to sit there and you just have to bite your tongue. Like, I it's think not that's always another romantic.
1: interesting parallel between both books too, because I think that's the same thing with Charlotte Bronte. I think not only does she want to break you, but I do think that she wants you to feel frustrated about this woman's like situation.
0: Oh, like Doctor John and Polly.
1: I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely. I do think that there's like a lot of parallels between these two novels that are just not obvious, but I don't know, reading them back to back, like just felt really right to me. So I think my biggest issue with persuasion, I think just in terms of weaknesses, again, is just reading it with modern eyes. Like, I don't think this is a healthy way for you to live your life, um, you know, looking back and sort of like shutting yourself down for eight years. Eight years mm-hmm. is a long time, you know, and especially in like in modern terms, if we're talking about, you know, from 19 to 27, like that's a huge chunk of your life that, you know, you should be try to live a, you know, living your life to the fullest. Absolutely. And yeah. So I think that's the thing that ma- it just makes me sad, I think is the biggest it's, part. It's interesting though, because um, I think,
0: Charles Marsgrove is the only is the only suitor that we know who was interested and he ends up
1: mm-hmm.
0: marrying Mary instead and I know that Helena Kelly talks about it in her book as being like should she really like do, do you want to marry the guy who just a year later then proposes to your sister like maybe there was something yeah. in Charles that she saw and the thing with Anne is that she because she's so often disregarded she's just at the beck and call cool of everyone she wouldn't necessarily have been out in society as much. It doesn't sound like there was this like swell of men in the local area that she could have picked from because otherwise right. Elizabeth would have, you know, Elizabeth has done the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got these two sisters who are in the same boat. Um, and then when Mr. Elliot comes on the scene, she does react to him and she is interested and she does respond. And it's, Mr. Elliot is the catalyst, and this is we haven't touched on this. Mr. Elliot's the catalyst that almost gets Captain Wentworth interested again because he then yeah. sees her as a sexual object. Mm-hmm. Someone who can be desired by like another man. Like there is still something there. And like the wind is blowing and like her face is a bit pink and she's not as drawn. He's like, oh, I almost don't recognize her. And it's like, yeah, dude, she like has feelings and she's been around you. She's not (laughs) going to look her best. Like, what do you want from her? And everyone does kind of talk about how she's lost her bloom and the disappointment. And that's the thing. It's like the lingering. But I think again, it's that it, how much society, how many opportunities did she have and maybe a second engagement or meeting someone a little bit after. And that's where you know Jane Austen just saying to Fanny, she's just like, hey, you know, like you can't, you can't throw yourself in on the first guy, like you yeah. can't. And that's Lady, Lady Russell had no idea that when she said to Anne, "Don't marry him," that that no one else would come along, or that she, it's it's not like we've had this blow by blow account of twelve men that Anne's turned down, and she sat at the window right. kind of saying, "No, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the captain." she isn't right. she she's actually not waiting for him, and i I would misread this. I think that my younger readings of this book, I was uh mistakenly taking it as if you wait for someone long enough, they will come, but the point is she has never waited for him, she's mm-hmm. given up hope, she doesn't think he's coming back, and that is not the same as waiting,
1: yeah, you're right, so it's also like, yeah, giving up hope that's the thing that yeah, that makes it just oh, let it super go sad, let it go but. You're right, too. Like she had no um, opportunities to really meet people like the the move to Bath should have happened or London or, you know, like f- a long time ago. Yeah. And that's a change of, change of pace, like, you know, a change of scenery would have actually like just done her good years and years ago. Um, but you can this- see that that's not like even Sir Walter's priority. Like he's just not even really <laughs> concerned with getting these girls hitched, it feels like. You
0: you can't marry someone and then be in love with someone else. You have to marry the right person. Yeah. And so, whilst Elliot is waiting for who will be a baron, who will have money, who you know will will do all of that, and so for Elizabeth and so Walter Elliot, their undoing is the fact that Mister Elliot is he's the guy. He's the guy. And even when he comes back on the scene, he's the guy again. It's like, yeah. whoa, they're putting all their eggs in one basket.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And he's into Anne, but he's an idiot. He's a bad lad. He
1: goes off with Mrs. Clay. So, <laughs> Yeah, we haven't even like talked about how he's a bad lad, but he is. We'll talk about there him on go. the bad lad episode, but he's a very bad lad. Yeah, he is. He's a very bad lad. So shall we table things for now and come back and talk about <laughs> Valette? Yes. And then we're going to talk about Lucy and Anne and how they are similar and in similar situations, but how differently things go. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So guys, thank you for joining us for our persuasion episode. Come back
0: next week. And absolutely thank you for your patience in waiting for this episode. I know that sometimes we tease things and we say they're coming. They are almost always coming. It's just, there is so much.
1: <laughs> There's so much. There's You've got to oh, patiently yeah. wait for nine years and then it will arrive. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I think it's very apt, right? <laughs> yeah. So Hannah, if people want to, you know, talk to us about persuasion and also give us the ranking for who is the best, the best lad, is it Thornton? Is it Darcy? Is it Wentworth? Where should they? Where should they Is it John do Thorpe?
0: That? Is it John Thorpe? Um, <laughs> you can find us on the line, on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can find us on Facebook, Bonnets at Dawn. Search for the group. Join the group. We're all there. Had a couple of uh, men join us recently. Hello. Hello, dudes. That I said that in like a creepy way. I just meant because we always talk about how we have one male listener. It turns out we've got like four of, four of them. Yeah, it's crazy. Come and join in. Uh, you can also email us. Uh, Lauren, do people email us? Sometimes. Every once in a while. I never know if I should say. Bonnets at dawn at gmail It's a great time. Yeah. We've, I got do. A, we've got an email signature. We might not. I don't know. I've never emailed We, we, do. we do. We do. We've got an email signature. And the only <laughs> way to see it, send us an email.
1: Send us an email. And you could do another thing for us, guys. You could leave us and iTunes rating and review. Um, oh, a few you yeah. have, and they're so great. Um, I love it, love it, love it when you include what you had for breakfast. So she keep just that up. I just want to know. Toast I'm gets fascinated. boring. It does. It
0: you know what I'm eating at the moment for breakfast? What? A lot of eggs.
1: Uh, eggs are great. So I
0: bought a big box of them.
1: Well, I think they're great.
0: And now I'm at nine to five. I need to eat breakfast. You do. It seems. Yeah. It's the most important meal of the day, guys. It is. So go off, eat some breakfast. We'll talk at you another time. I'll talk more about persuasion. Lauren will finally get to talk
1: about Valette. It's going to be great. I'm very we'll excited. We'll have a bonfire. <laughs> oh, yes. See <laughs> you next <Right>. time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>